John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's look at what's on the list for all events related to starting strength. Next seminar up on the list is going to be Wichita Falls on March 6th through the 8th, then over to Woodmere, New York on April 17th, and then Denver, Colorado on May 15th through the 17th. For lifting camps coming up, the only available camps we have currently are going to be squat and deadlift camps, next one being in Woodmere, New York on February 23rd, then Savannah, Georgia on March 28th, Tampa, Florida on April 4th, and Bellevue, Washington on May 16th. Any other lifting camps that you may see on the website but don't hear me list here, are because they're already sold out. A couple coaching development camps still on the list. Next up is going to be Houston, Texas, covering how to coach the squat. That'll be on February 22nd. And then Villa Park, California will be at the Strength Co. on March 21st, cover how to coach the power clean. A couple meets available too. Windmere, New York is holding a deadlift-only meet on March 22nd, and Weights and Plates in Phoenix, Arizona is holding a strength-lifting meet on April 18th. Just a reminder, we're opening starting strength gyms all over the country. For information on locations currently open, requesting location, or even finding out more information about how to start your own starting strength gym, you can head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. That's locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more details and registration information on all of our events, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Good Friday to you, whether you're listening to this on the internet uh, on the normal distribution channels at 12.01 a.m. Friday morning because you just can't wait for what we're doing this weekend or whether it's noon and you're watching our video here. Uh, thanks for joining us today on Starting Strength Radio. We're going to have a Q&A, one of our fabulous Q&A things that we do when you send in questions to Radio at startingstrength.com. That's where we're taking our questions now is radio at startingstrength.com. But first, <clears throat> let me clear my throat so that I can do the reverb correctly. Come, Come in, in sit, 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 sit. from, from uh, the, heaters. the heaters. You probably think that's some kind of sound effects. I actually know how to do the reverb thing. Okay. So we've got some comments this week. I thought I'd just read several of them. Pavlo Klimko says, Okay, Boomer. Aldo Rain says, Okay, Boomer. Here's a guy named Lion Poke. I guess like poke the lion, whatever. Okay, Boomer. Sam April. That's April with an E on the end of it. Says, Okay, Boomer. Patrick O'Grady says, Okay, Boomer. Helix 2020 chimes in. He says, Okay, Boomer. And these are good this week. These are particularly insulting. Nicole Nicolay. Mahu, obviously 
not a native speaker, says, okay, boomer. Regulate ZX says, okay, boomer. Laser Wolf says, okay, boomer. Glenn F says, okay, boomer. Burner Boy says, okay, boomer. Henry says, okay, boomer. Manuel Leal says, okay, boomer. There's a comma. Benzy Smith springs for uppercase okay. And then a comma, Boomer. G. Hinkins, okay, Boomer. Tank the Frank 100, okay, Boomer. Alex Saunier says, okay, Boomer. Brian Gedball says, okay, Boomer. Jonathan Turner says, okay, Boomer. And finally, Brandon Heath says, Boomer rant. I wonder what he means by that. I don't know either. Is that like okay, Boomer, in some kind of translation error or something like that? Yeah, he's churching it up. And those are comments Comments from from the haters. Okay, now, as I mentioned, we're going to do a question and answer today, and today's Q&A is going to be like most other Q&As. We're going to take your questions. Sarah Loglass, our friend Grant Brogy, got us some Wichita Falls Athletic Club rocks glasses here. This is, yeah, this is Kahlua. What else is brown like that? That rum. What kind of rum is dark brown like that? Oh, God, I remember my old girlfriend, Treva, showed up with a bottle of rum one time that was that color. Had a picture of a black guy on the label. That's all I remember about it. I'm telling you, this was, it was, it was real sweet. It tasted real good. That kind of shit you can drink and not know that you're actually poisoning yourself. Yeah, that was an interesting evening. Uh, Anyway. Okay. Well, here's our first question. And we treat these seriously, by the way. All of these are always treated seriously. It's not like the old, what we used to call that? Ask Ask Rip. It's not like the old Ask Rip format. This is. Totally serious here. All right. Uh, guy named Travis Disselton. His name is spelled D-I-S-L-T-I-N. At uh, Travis underline Sean underline D at yahoo.com asks, love the podcast. No bullshit. I get the picture that you're a businessman. I'd like to partner with you. I'm opening up a fudge factory up here in Iowa. And I'd be honored if you were my head fudge packer. So, Rip, would you like to pack my fudge? By the way, how much experience do you have, if any, as a fudge packer? Well, Travis, uh, I've had a lot of experience as a fudge packer, but I'm not interested in working for you. 
But once again, Travis's email address is Travis, that's T-R-A-V-I-S, underline Sean, S-H-A-W-N, underline D, at yahoo.com. So those of you that might be interested in packing fudge for Travis should send him a video resume. And I hope that works out for Travis. Underline Sean, underline D, at yahoo.com. Okay. Oh, here's one. Mr. Ripto, can you talk on the importance of shoulder strength overhead work for throwing athletes? I think there's a misunderstanding within different communities that associates heavier overhead movements to ligament damage, especially in throwing athletes. Uh, well, Mitch, uh, there is a, a, a pretty good explanation of why this is important in the blue book. Briefly, when you press overhead, what you are doing is strengthening the rotator cuff. Now, our friends in the physical therapy community have uh, impressed upon everyone who will listen that since the rotator cuff, since three of the four muscles that are considered to be the components of the rotator cuff are external rotators, uh, they have decided that the only way to strengthen the external rotators in the rotator cuff, those muscles comprising the muscles that coalesce into the rotator cuff tendon on the head of the humerus, they have impressed upon us that we must do external rotator stuff to strengthen the external rotators. And this is not true. The external rotators are not slack in an overhead press. They're tight as well because... External rotation is not the only function of that group of muscles. This is a this is an interesting uh, uh, function of uh, one of the primary holes in physical therapy education is that if we know the origin and the insertion of a muscle, then we know its function. And it's possible to state that the supraspinatus is an external rotator of the shoulder. Well, muscles all basically have multiple functions in human movement. And the rotator cuff muscles in particular are uh, uh, interesting in that they do, in fact, produce concentric external rotation for a thrower they produce eccentric deceleration of internal rotation you can see how that would work if the muscle is doing this then if you're throwing in this direction then the internal rotation of the humerus is decelerated by the external rotators and this is true of all of the muscles in the human body. They have, in reality, several things that they do. But if we describe them only in terms of origin and insertion, and we think of them as primarily concentric contractile mechanisms, then we end up with a rather uh, uh, limited view of what actually takes place. And uh, the rotator cuff muscles of the shoulder are a very good example of this. Uh, when when you do uh, an overhead press, all of the muscle groups 
in the shoulder are in contraction. This means that the rotator, the external rotators, the rotator cuff muscles are also in contraction. And if you take your overhead press from 95 pounds up to 200 pounds, what happened to the strength of all of the muscles that were in contraction during the process of doubling your pressing strength? Well, three guesses. The first two don't count, right? Everything got stronger. So in a press, what's the function of the rotator, external rotator group of, of the muscles in the posterior region of the shoulder? Well, they suck the head of the humerus back down onto the glenoid and stabilize the position. Now, one of the hilarious things about this, this shoulder impingement and ligament damage thing uh, especially in throwing athletes, is that when you press overhead and you lock the movement out at the top, the scapula rotates upward and medially, pulling the glenoid, the cup, the glenoid, and the acromion and coracoid processes quite literally away from the humerus, so that impingement is anatomically impossible in that position. So, in other words, if you hear from uh, a quasi-medical professional that overhead presses impinge the shoulder, get up and leave, because they don't know what they're talking about. That's anatomically impossible. Impingement is anatomically impossible. No ligament damage can take place because the only ligaments involved in this are the, the structures that hold the uh, scapula and the clavicle together. The AC joint is held together by ligaments, and those are the only ones in that region that we need to be concerned about, and of course those are not loaded either. The, the load comes from the weight over the head, and the load is distributed evenly across all the structures in that region. All of the structures being loaded gets stronger incrementally as the load goes from 95 pounds up to 200. Uh, a stronger shoulder is a more stable shoulder. A stronger shoulder is a more injury-proof shoulder. So, no, you need to press overhead. And if you, uh, if you can articulate a response to that, I'd really appreciate hearing it uh, because uh, – I never have heard one that makes any sense, all right? Your scapula floats. It moves along with everything else as it moves upward into the position to hold a press up over it. Quite honestly, your traps, trapezius muscle group, holds up the bar overhead. And all of that stuff gets strong when you train correctly with barbells. All right, Marco from Michigan. Love the show. He's 45, 170 pounds, 5'9". Read your book, been doing starting strength for the last eight weeks. Eight weeks ago, I deadlifted 140, and now I'm already at 240. I've booked a couple of training camps with Dr. Sullivan, who's up there in, in uh, Farmington Hills, Michigan, our, our affiliate gym, Graysteel. Excellent coach. If you've got a chance, you'll enjoy training with 
Dr. Sullivan, which I'm looking forward to. Wish I'd discovered this new knowledge 20 years ago, blah, blah. Question. I'm doing both bench and presses each workout three days a week, and now I'm adding weighted chins. I'm eating sleeping well. Is that too much given I started so late in life? Well, it may be. All right. Uh, doing both benches and presses each workout three days a week doesn't give you a lot of time off between these pressing movements. We don't normally program them like that. We normally alternate the press and the bench, and I understand that makes some people antsy because their bench press isn't coming up fast enough. If you can recover from pressing and benching uh, both each day, go ahead. But I think that adding weighted chins to that at the age of 45, especially at 5'9 and 170, which is not big enough, is going to end up being more than you probably recover from. Now, if you want to try this, I'd go ahead and try it. But my first advice to you is you're 5'9", 170. You need to gain about 20, 25 pounds of body weight so that you're, you know, look like you lift weights. And the added food creates an anabolic environment, and maybe you will be able to recover from all that work. But I'd, the only thing I tell you is try it and see, you know, why not give it a try? It's not going to kill you. Probably not going to kill you. All right, Neil asks us, big fan, starting strength, shut down silly bullshit, not following the program, woke up, all this shit. All right, this is rather long, and I've uh, distilled a an interesting point out of this that I wanted to talk about. Uh, starting point was not a novice as such as I've resistance trained or exercised rather intermittently over many years, and I'm generally fit since my youth, having played soccer, running, triathlon, resistance exercise in amongst uh, the these activities. You First, uh, you, you don't have a correct understanding of what the word novice means. Prior athletics sports history has nothing whatsoever to do with the novice, intermediate, advanced lifter progression. Has nothing to do with that, all right? I suggest that you get practical programming for strength training, third edition, where this is fully discussed. And learn exactly why you probably, in fact, almost assuredly are a novice, all right? Uh but this is what caught my eye. The follow-up consultation with something called DNA fit informed me that my results indicate that in order for me to gain strength and muscle mass, giving my specific genetics, apparently he's, um, I've been told that he has got a higher propensity for endurance because, you know, VO2 max, all that shit. Um, uh, given his specific genetics, he would be better responded to higher rep range to wake up my genes as a more favorable endurance response as, a, as opposed to more traditional strength-based rep ranges, fives. All right, look, high reps is generally regarded as 10s, 15s, 20s. Sets of 20 are not aerobic. Sets of 20 have nothing to do with VO2 max. They make you breathe harder because you're under the bar longer. But the energy system employed in 
a set of 20 or a set of 50 is not the aerobic energy system. This is another excellent reason for you to read Practical Programming for Strength Training because that's where all of this bioenergetics physiology is explained. I don't have time to teach it to you now. Teach it to you yourself by reading the book, okay? Um, but the, what you and they have is a misunderstanding of bioenergetics, and you need to get that all straightened out. Ian Right. So you've spoken at length about the low efficacy of machines for strength training, with the exception of the lat pull down for beginners to progress to chin ups, as well as the redundancy of specialized pieces of equipment, such as the trap bar hex bar. With the creation of pieces of equipment, such as the reverse hyper, the safety squat bar, cambered bar, etc., have you ever given any thought to attempting to create pieces of equipment that better facilitate growth in terms of strength? Or is the barbell perfect? Ian, uh, smarter people than me have piddled around trying to invent machines for a very long time. Every machine that can be invented has been invented. All right. We are interested in strengthening normal human movement patterns. And the barbell and things that are not anchored to a machine are the only things that allow normal human movement patterns to be executed under an incrementally increasing load. We're not interested in moving the way a machine wants us to move. It's a misunderstanding of what we do. I don't care how strong your triceps are. I care how strong your bench press is. I care how strong your press is. I don't care how strong your quads are. I care how strong your squats are. Okay, so barbells work just fine. The trap bar has been discussed recently. I don't think it's a useful addition. I've explained why, and I don't feel like going over it here. You want to use a hex bar, trap bar, go ahead. I don't care. But you don't need to. You just need a barbell. If you've got money laying around, you want to buy the damn thing, play around with it, go ahead. Um, just try to be stable at the top and try not to hurt your back. Oh, P.S., uh, your nipples are so hard. <laughs> Did it really say that? Yeah. Yeah, it actually said that. Perfectly good question. And then, you know, <laughs> relegates himself to the bottom 3%. <laughs> <laughs> he did that. I didn't do it for him. <laughs> Gerald Kaufman writes, uh, all this bullshit. You don't understand, Gerald. <laughs> I'm not interested in reading that, either for my own purposes or for the purposes of the podcast. So just send me a little question. I don't want to hear what you disagree with. It's not relevant. Uh, okay, here's one that says, the question is in the subject line. And the subject line is the longest subject line <laughs> in the history of email. Q&A forward. I had my gallbladder taken out many years ago. I am 62. There were three small incisions. I can now do 265 on the deadlift. I can feel the incisions. Do you think that could be a problem going forward as I try to build up my deadlift? Honest to God, that's the subject line of this, of this email. He didn't just say Q&A forward and then type that into the body of the email. Is there also he, body? 
the body of the email says, the question is in the subject line. <laughs> Uh, is it? It's, it's, it's an AOL email address. No, no, it's a. Oh, well, let me see here. Whose email address is this? Uh, it's Gmail. Oh, Gmail. It's a Gmail address. People who use Gmail are supposed to be supposed like to be real smart. <laughs> and we people who still use AOL are just, you know, Trump voters, right? So, uh, all right. Uh, uh, the deal is, if you've had uh, your gallbladder out many years ago, uh, uh, three small incisions. Um, all, uh, look, that's all healed up. That's all healed up. I had my gall, my my appendix out. Oh God, back in what ninety four, long time ago. Appendix got hot. Had my appendix taken out. No, that might have been in 89. Hell, I can't remember when it was. And uh, got sick on Tuesday. Had the surgery on Thursday. Uh, was in the hospital for two days for some reason. That's They did it differently back then. And uh, came home on a Saturday, mowed the yard on Sunday, and squatted and uh, bench-pressed on Monday. Took a week to deadlift. But, but, you know, and I had a, I had an incision, you know, you had, uh, a scope on your gallbladder. You're, you were fine two weeks after the, the surgery. Now you don't want a deadlift. Go ahead and use this as an excuse, but you know, there's no reason for that. You've been healed for a long, long time and you just have decided not to deadlift. You don't want to deadlift, don't deadlift. But don't use that as an excuse because it's stupid. All right. Hey, Rip, what's your advice on buying a house? Is renting a good idea? Thanks for the answer, and I thoroughly enjoy your podcast show. Uh, Clayton. Well, that's kind of a, that's off topic, but, you know. And I don't buy and sell homes. I don't flip homes, as is so popular these days. I don't I don't buy fixer uppers because I don't know how to fix anything up. And uh it's just one of those talents I don't possess and am not interested in developing. So uh but Clayton here uh wants to know about buying a house. Uh it appears to me as though uh, you should buy a house if you can afford the house payment right now because it makes much more sense to be paying yourself and building equity than it does to be paying someone else to build equity because that's what a rent house is. Somebody bought that rent house, they borrowed money on it, and you're paying it off for them. And if, if you're not paying it off for them, it's already paid for, you're just sliding money in their pocket. If you can buy a house for a rent payment, you know, unless you're just going to be in the market for nine months, I mean, if you're temporary, yeah, it's probably less trouble to just go ahead and rent. But uh, there, there's not really a reason to not own, a, especially with what, what you can get a mortgage for now. Mortgage rates are, it's usually less than rent. Rent, I know in this market, in Wichita Falls, for some bizarre reason, the rents are lunacy. And the Air Force people that are coming in and staying two years drive the rent market way up here. 
It may not be that way everywhere, but it would if you're going to rent a house for twelve hundred dollars a month, which is, you know, and those of you in San Francisco, you poor bastards. <laughs> you st- <laughs> They have, no, they that you can't rent a closet for twelve hundred a month to hang your clothes in San Francisco in these hot coastal free, markets. You know, free needles. Just wash them real good. You know, well, you know if you're if you're doing that to yourself, I'm not. I'm not talking to you. But say you're in a normal part of the country, and uh, if the rent's twelve hundred dollars because the there's a hot rent market. I promise you a mortgage payment's going to be lower than that. You need to be making one. Uh, that's the only consideration. This is just an economic consideration. And if you are a landlord and you are owning houses to rent to other people, if you are uh, interested in getting a call at 3 o'clock in the morning to come unstop the toilet, you go ahead and be a landlord. Okay? I'm not interested in dealing with that. I mean, how how many times do you does somebody move out of a rent house that's been in it for a couple of years and you don't have to repaint the whole damn thing? How often does that happen? It doesn't. You have to repaint the whole damn thing. So people don't take care of other people's property. This is a fundamental reality that you have to deal with if you're a landlord. If you're in the landlord business, like a lot of people are, and you got 300 units in a market, and you're making millions of dollars a year off of your rents, well, you don't mind getting calls at 3 o'clock in the morning saying that the toilet stopped up and that uh, the kitchen stove's on fire and it's your fault somehow. You just That's be not like my landlord and just be like, well, deal with it for the next four or five days. <laughs> just deal with it. Just deal with it. Well, why don't, you, why don't you buy a house, Rusty? Maybe you ought to give some thoughts to that. Maybe Wow. Okay, I've read that running. Ben Roberts asks, read that running will increase knee strength because your your there's a missing word here. Knees will adapt to the stress of running. I know this is not true, but I'm not sure how to explain it since the adaptation of knees seems logical. And you talk about the adaptations incurred by running. Well, the your knees will adapt to running. All right, if they can. If you, you know, because everything adapts to the stress imposed upon it, if you can do the middle part of the stress recovery adaptation cycle, you've got to get recovered. Most people run too much because they like to run. I understand that. I used to run myself. But it tears your knees up because you're going to run more than your knees can recover from. Uh, More importantly, running, the stress imposed on the knees in terms of running, is dynamic. There's a lot of impact. You load the knees much more running than you do squatting. And uh, it's possible to beat the piss out of your knees running where you would not do anything even approximately close to that doing heavy squats. Set of five heavy squats, how many reps is involved in running five miles? You know, the repetition adds up. Each one is a dynamic, loaded impact. Doesn't matter what kind of shoes you wear, there's impact involved in running. Uh, If you apply the right amount of running stress, or if your body weight's 125, 
so that there's essentially not much impact stress because of a light body weight, then you can adapt to running. But the real question is, is why do you want to run? Uh, the perception everybody seems to have is that the only way to work your cardiorespiratory system is long, slow distance. And those people have never done five sets of five across squats at 405. If you do that, you will understand what you don't currently know. All right. I am a 28 year old, five foot 10 male, weighs 245. Background's football, powerlifting, track. Been doing the starting strength routine off and on over the years. Always come back to it after some layoff time from working multiple jobs and lack of sleep from babies. Something to consider. Okay. I've squatted 575 in competition. I've benched 297, deadlifted 545. Uh, what's a good number to press overhead? I'm at 135 for three sets of five currently. Pressed 185 for triples before. Is that a bad number? Well, it's not, it's not commensurate with the rest of your strength. I'd say you hadn't been training your press. Uh, why don't you think about your says your goal here is 225. That's uh, probably okay, but we like to think in terms of a body weight press. A body for men, a body weight press is a good is a good round number. That's a good starting point for overhead press strength. Okay, here's another running type question. Hello, Mark. How are you today? I'm fine. My name is Elisa, and I'm currently serving as a cannon crew member at Fort Hood. Uh, 29, five foot two, 155, 160. Recently started your program, really enjoying it so far. She deadlifts two and a quarter, squats 165, benches 115. Only a week into the program. So these are just basically basic strength numbers that she's carrying into the program. My question is, I'm concerned about balancing getting stronger with losing weight so I can meet the Army's archaic height and weight requirements. I'm also concerned about how much running will affect my progression in the starting strength program since my unit has set a PT schedule of running two miles Monday, Wednesday, Friday and doing muscle failure on Tuesday, Thursday. Do you have any advice on what I should do to get the most out of this program while losing weight in the process? Okay. First things first, body weight loss is diet. That's all it is. All this running and flailing around and getting hot, sweaty, and tired is not going to drop your body fat. Diet drops your body fat. Just let this penetrate. Everybody listening, let this penetrate. If you need to lose body fat, you are facing a diet issue, not a training issue. Now, if you get your running up to 60 miles a week, then that's a significant amount of fat calories burned, but you're not going to do that, and neither is anybody else that's also lifting weights, all right? If you have a body fat problem, it's a dietary situation. And I understand all this flailing around and running and shit makes you hungry. I understand that. That's the problem, one of the problems with all that activity. Uh, 
more importantly, uh, this two days, uh, two miles a day, three days a week, and going to failure Tuesday and Thursday. We talked about this many times. Uh, I, I don't know how that makes you better at uh, your job of blowing shit up with a one five five howitzer. I I don't I don't see how that makes you a better howitzer blower upper. All right. Uh, uh, you know, cannon crew is that's a strength job. You got to lift shit, move shit around, load the weapon, all this other stuff. It's the strength. It's not running two miles. But for some reason, the military can't process this. I don't understand it either. They just think it's since it's hard, it must be good. And uh, I agree that hard is good, but. Uh, you know, getting your squad up to 405 is hard, too. Why can't that be the good part instead of all this running? Uh, Y'all sort that out. Rip, this is totally unrelated to strength and conditioning, but do you have a favorite joke? I'm always looking for good jokes, and I felt like a smart man like yourself would have one or two clever jokes. Oh. I, yeah, I got a couple of jokes. You want me to tell these jokes? Have to edit them out. No, no, they're good jokes. I probably got that one. There's, they're good jokes. All right, here's here's a joke that uh, I heard a long, long time ago, uh, as will be obvious here in a minute. Uh, my sister's husband was a he was a he was a fuck up. He really was, but he, he, he always had good jokes. So he came into the cafe one morning about 10 o'clock, uh, to talk to daddy about something. And, uh, he told my dad this joke and this thing, he told him this stupid ass joke and daddy was helpless for about 30 minutes. He was helpless. He was walking around in the kitchen trying to get the rolls baked and everything. And he had to stop and lean on shit. He got so tickled he couldn't even function. And, and uh, it was just a you – know, here's the joke, all right? It's an Aggie joke. They were popular at the time. This is like Polak jokes. Everybody's – every region's got, you know, people they joke about, like Oklahomans. This could be an Oklahoman joke. Right, so two Aggies uh, drive their old beat up car onto a car lot, and uh, they said, uh, "You know, uh, we'd like to trade this in on on a little bit better car." And the the car lot guy, salesman, says, "You know, why don't you think about about something else here? I've got a I had a deal you might be interested in. I've got a camel here. I've got a camel now." Let's just think about this. Camel doesn't require any gas. You don't have to put gas in a camel. You just give him some water every once in a while and some, you know, hay and grass and weeds and shit, and he'll eat that. And he'll carry you around. Two of you can ride on the camel. He'll stop and start, go left, right, just like a car will. Why don't you think about that? So the Aggies think about it for a minute, and they say, well, okay. Uh We'll, we'll trade you the car for the camel. So they, they leave the car lot on the camel. They're riding the, riding the uh, camel off down the street.
And uh, about 15 minutes later, they come walking back into the car lot. And uh, they say, hey, we want our car back. And the guy said, well, what happened? You guys looked like y'all were getting along pretty well on this on this camel when you left. He said, well, uh, this we, we pulled up to about three blocks down. We, there was light turned red, and we had to stop at the light. And this guy pulled up beside us and and looked up at us, and, and he said, uh, <laughs> honey, look, look at those two assholes on that camel. And uh, we got down to look, and the camel ran away. <laughs> now I don't know about it. It's a stupid joke, but it, it, I've always remembered how tickled Daddy got at that. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> Look at those two assholes on that camp. <laughs> oh shit! Just the image that calls to mind. That's a stupid fucking joke. Oh God. <laughs> And then there's the bear joke. All right. The bear. Have you heard the bear joke? You never heard the bear joke? All right. Guys up in Colorado and he's hunting. He's going to hunt a bear. Gets his bear tag. He goes out on the weekend and he's walking around out in the woods. Got his rifle, camo, you know, real tree camo on, walking around. You know, looking at bear tracks, you know, and he's uh, he's really paying attention to the ground, and all of a sudden, on his shoulder, he feels this tap, tap, tap. He turns around, there's a bear standing behind him. And bear says, now, you wouldn't be out here trying to kill me, would you? And the guy says, well, you know, all right, yeah. Yeah, I'm hunting bears. He said, I don't like that. Bear said, I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like being threatened like that. And i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a choice here. I'm either going to rip you to shreds with my giant long claws, this big bear, or you're going to let me fuck you in the ass. <laughs> and a guy says, well, I don't want to die. So he lets the bear fuck him in the ass. Bear leaves. <laughs> Guy's pissed. <laughs> Next weekend he comes back. He said, go, go find the bear. So he's out hunting in the woods. He's looking around for the bear. Paying attention. Thinks he sees some fresh tracks. Tap, tap, tap on the shoulder. Bear says, you again. You know the drill. Bear fucks him in the ass. <laughs> Bear leaves. Guy's really pissed off. He's, Bear tag's still good. So he comes back out following Saturday. He's out walking around in the woods and uh, looking at bear tracks and tap, tap, tap on the shoulder. Turns around. Bear's looking at him. Bear says, I'm beginning to think you're not in this for the hunting. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Those are my two jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have recently started experiencing lower back pain after squatting, starting started happening to me around 140 kilo mark. This happens not during my time at the gym, but immediately after the workout. But by the time I pull myself out of the car getting home, back sore and stiff. Uh, 38, 5'9", 200 pounds. Uh, a hood from Israel. You're squatting wrong. Post a video. You're trying to stay too upright when you squat. You're not allowing your back to function the way it needs to function efficiently to support the load on the bar. Uh, you need to bend over more. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but we've explained it a million times, and I'm not going to go over it again. Uh, you think that a vertical back angle is good for your back, and I'm telling you that's stupid. All right, Your back is loaded at an angle in both the squat and the deadlift because that's how the back strengthens. You're not allowing the back to get strong because you're carrying it at the wrong angle, yet you're asking it to lift weights that you haven't prepared it to lift. You're squatting wrong. Fix your squat form. Go on the website, read all the millions of posts about this, and get your squat fixed. K now, Bree's dealt with this a couple of times. This guy wants to know about lifting with a fever. Remember that? I think he got answered on Twitter. He got answered on what? What did they tell him? I'm not sure. Well, if you got a fever. Depends on the fever. Mm-hmm. It, typically, if you got a cold. Or some kind of a minor deal like that, you need to train. You know, take alcohol, pure L kind of stuff with you so you don't get your cold germs all over the equipment. Uh, but if you've got it, because that's just a local, local viral infection, local tissues, that's not a big deal. Train through a cold. If you've got the flu, if you're running a fever, if the skin on your lower back hurts, in other words, you can't train. You're systemically infected. You've got systemic inflammation. You've got a, a disease process going on. But much more important than that, than it not being good for you, uh, nobody at the goddamn gym wants you to give them the flu. Don't go to the gym. Now, if you're at home, he does say home gym. I still wouldn't train with the flu. You need to, you know, lay on your ass a couple of days and get over the flu. The flu can be bad. And uh, you don't try to train through a systemic fever-type illness like that because it could be something worse than the flu. No, don't train on the flu. Yes, train through a cold. All right? Uh, Rip, I'm a big fan of starting strength. Recently took a trip through the panhandle of Texas and stopped by the Wichita Falls Athletic Club just to get a picture in front of your gym. I then continued on to Amarillo, Stopped at the Big Texan for dinner. I was wondering if you'd ever attempted the 72-ounce steak challenge or know someone who has. I knew a kid a long time ago that did that and actually finished it. He was like a 155-pound guy. That's a four-and-a-half-pound steak. And you got to eat the steak, all of it. Maybe they let you cut the gristles out. I don't know. And you got to eat the salad and the baked potato and the roll. You got to eat all of that shit. 
And if you don't eat it all, it's about $70. So I'm sure they sell a lot of those. Probably ship a lot of doggy bags out the door, huh? Seven, four and a half pounds. That's a roast. That's not steak. That's a roast. And it's a pretty damn good roast. I'd put my money on one. Chase Lindley finishing that. Chase is the only kid I know that might be able to do that. Hell, I'll drive him up there. We ought to, we ought to go up there and do that, you know? Drive him up there. and If he doesn't finish it, we pay for it for him. And leave him there. You know? Or, yeah, make him walk home. Disgracing. We'll pay for it, and he has to walk home. We video it. Might not be a bad idea. I don't know if they let you do that. Have to check with the big Texan. Let you do what? Video the oh, oh, oh. Uh, an attempt like that. Since we're not a major network, you know. I don't know. I've never been in the place. I haven't either. I've seen pictures. I haven't been in there. It's you know, it's not something that Texans do. <laughs> you know, you can't go to the big Texan in Amarillo. I'm from here. I don't <laughs> go to some place called the Big Texan. God, that's dumb. All right. You know, I just have to order it medium rare and hope they know what the hell they're doing. Uh, the problem with the 72-ounce steak is it's hard to get medium rare. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's damned hard to do. There's there's probably just one way to do it. And uh, I've been cooking all my steak like this recently because it's much easier to get it right uh what i what i'll do is preheat my oven to 500 and then i'll uh heat up my cast iron pan and i'll sear the steak on both sides after i sear it i'll put my salt and pepper or whatever i'm going to put on it and then i put it in the put it in the oven for between four and six minutes depending on how many steaks and how thick they are that I'm trying to cook at the time. And you pull that out after four to six minutes, depending on if it's thinner, obviously four minutes is right. Stick it back on top of the stove, let it rest for 10 minutes, and then it's perfectly medium rare all the way through. It's the same color all the way through. It's it's perfect. And if you're spending a bunch of money on meat, you don't want to fuck one of them up because it's, it's just stupid to do that. So... I pretty much have quit trying to fry a steak in the pan because I never get it right. I never get it right. I've either got one side went too long and then you're, it's blood red in the middle and it's not medium rare. So uh not want to try that. I, that may be how they do that thing up there because that thing's got to be that thick. You know, what they probably should want to do is sear that on their fire and then finish it in the oven for about something like that it'd be 10 minutes 12 minutes at 500 degrees too much trouble in a commercial deal like that you're telling me they don't use a meat thermometer no they don't use a meat nobody uses a meat thermometer no 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 they they don't do that it's not the way it's done not the way it's done i've grew up the cafe and i've worked in restaurants and nobody uses a fucking meat thermometer well, you worked in Yankee places then. Well, okay, true. Yankee is, places. Is places, Yankee? yes. Okay. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, God, yes. I'm sorry. I'm St. Louis, yeah. You, you would think meat thermometer. For every one of the steaks? Yeah, oh, you've lost your mind? They stick the meat thermometer in, 
And the thingy sits outside the thing, and it just tells them when it's at the right temperature. You know what? Imagine that. You know what? Um, here, out. imagine this. The cook having some experience. The cook is doing other shit, Rip. Like cooking like, food. No, he's cooking steaks. Okay. He's cooking steaks. He's got 18 steaks on the goddamn grill. You're, he sees them. He knows. You're the guy that just discovered reverse searing. Like, right. <laughs> no, no, I've been doing this. No, that's not true. I've been doing this for a while. Okay. So it's not, I've just recently gone to it exclusively. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Here's some guy named John, all right? He's recently discovered, blah, 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 was into hit, some names I'm not interested in reading. All right, question. Plan. My sons and I are involved in Boy Scouts and are attending a high adventure camp the next two summers. This uh, will be, uh, uh, include full, two full-day hikes, six miles apiece. We're going to be a Philmont. Seven days of six to ten miles a day. Thirty pound packs. At uh Philmont they're fifty to sixty pound packs. Both these locations are at much higher elevation than Kansas City. Did a twelve did a ten mile hike last summer at twelve thousand feet. Inform me we're not ready to do the types of hikes required by a high adventure program. All right. Uh without reading all of this shit, let me let me tell you something. All right. You cannot get acclimatized to altitude in a short period of time. You can't really get acclimatized to altitude in weeks, all right? Because acclimatized to altitude means that, uh, well, really what it means is that uh, you get used to the, to the effects of having a lower than normal lower than complete O2 saturation. In other words, here in Wichita Falls, at 1,000 feet of elevation, my O2 saturation is 99%. All right, most everybody that's not compromised in some way has got an O2 saturation of 99%. I go up to my place in Colorado at 9,300 feet, and I'm at 92%. I'm at 92%. Now, that is a significant amount of desaturation. And it's uncomfortable. Now, you can sleep just fine. Uh, but walking up the driveway is a lot of trouble. It's more trouble than you think. And those of you people that are out there saying, if you is fat, if it wasn't fat, it'd be easy to walk up the driveway. He's fat. I hate Rip because he's fat. Or he's fat because I hate him. I haven't decided yet. No, it's, I'm sorry, at 9,300 feet, you're only dealing with 72% of the atmosphere. It's a significant altitude, all right? That's why you have to have oxygen, uh, and they pressurize the cabin in aircraft. This is, it's a significant problem. 10,000 feet is where they pressurize the cabin. 9,000, 10,000 feet is where commercial aircraft are pressurized to. And nobody's running up and down the aisles of a commercial aircraft. And, uh, you know, it's uh, altitude's a, a serious deal, okay? 12,000 feet, it's hard to walk with a pack at 12,000 feet. But that having been said, what helps more? Strength training or running at a thousand feet. 
think with me. Running at a thousand feet doesn't prepare you for 92% or even lower than that O2 saturation that you would acquire at altitude. Strength makes it easier to carry the 60 pound pack. So the strength training is more beneficial to you given the fact that you can't acclimate to altitude. People that live at 10,000 feet are acclimated to it in the sense that they're used to being at 93% O2 saturation. All right? You go to, to you know, altitude, like Quito, Ecuador, that's at, where is that, 12,000 feet, something like that. Uh, those people that have been there for generations have got bigger chests, more lung capacity, there's certain other adaptations, their H&H is higher, but they aren't above 94%. You just don't mind. And you can't get it done in three you, months. You can't get it done in three years. You just can't do it, and it's pointless to try. However, you can get your squad up to 405. All right? So, either, way. either way, you're going to feel like shit. You know, can you, but you're going to feel less like shit if you're strong enough to carry the pack all afternoon because you're stronger. So that's my input on that. Now, Neil says, I lift at home in my garage with nobody available to spot me. And I always feel a little bit worried when I, when I'm doing the bench press, pinholes in my rack aren't at an appropriate height. Being either slightly too low or too high. As a result, I avoid benching heavy by myself and I'm wondering how valid my safety concerns are. At this point, I'm wondering if weighted dips could be used till I'm able to afford a new power rack or if I should just continue to bench without collars on the bar. Neil, listen to me, hon. Why don't you shim the bench? Why don't you put a piece of half-inch plywood under the bench? Instead of thinking that the rack is the only thing you can adjust. Start thinking in terms of adjusting the bench up instead of the rack down. You've got very fine control over the height of the bench, much finer control than you have over the holes in the rack. So think about it like that. Let's get resourceful, shall we? And he also says, also, how many dogs are too many? Seven or eight. If you can't feed them, you got too many dogs, right? That's also you feed. Looks like knowledge that he talked about putting collars on a bench. That's fucking stupid. Don't do it. Yeah, he's apparently his indicated that he was not collaring the, the okay. bar on the bench. Uh, so he's not. At least he's not suicidal. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what it says here. Same Dips are a stupid idea. Weighted dips are a stupid idea. You can't get away from a weighted dip. Of course, you can't get away from a bench either. I don't know. Dips are just not a good deal for most people's shoulders. You know, it's got to tear in mind to pieces on dips nine months ago. Oh, God. All right. Lee Girong says this is apparently a New Zealander. Dear Rip, I love your style. You are very adorable. Isn't that nice? Instead of somebody 
saying, you fat, you're stupid, you're fat, everybody should use a trap bar. What do you know? You don't have abs, right? Here she says, you're very adorable. I'm assuming it's a she. What's her name? Lee Giron. No, L-I. I think it's a girl. I'm going to pretend it's a girl. <laughs> okay. I can't deadlift for more than three reps on 65 kilos because I can't hold on to the bar. Bar always slides down. My question is, can I use straps? I tried hook grip. I just can't get it right. Very frustrating. Uh, biggest concern, can't improve grip strength if I use straps. Rock climber. Uh, all right. Here's the deal. I, you know, I... And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and say that I hope you're using chalk on the bar. And the reason I have to insult your intelligence like that is because we get we get questions about this all the time. And people are saying they can't hang on to the deadlift. And we'll, we'll say, well, are, are you using chalk? And they'll say, well, no. Like I'm dumb, you know. Like I'm the dumbass, right? Well, no. Why would I use chalk? <laughs> so if you're not using chalk, maybe you should use chalk. Uh, but a secondary concern is you're a female, 24. Thank God it's a female. 24. She weighs uh, 121 pounds. And uh, she's a rock climber. Uh, I wonder if she also has short fingers. Short fingers are the biggest handicap for the deadlift there is, uh, especially in the uh, uh, absence of chalk. You know, they the, the two systems work together. You have to have a non-slip grip. You have to have chalk. But if your fingers are short, you are continually going to be unable to fully load your grip the way someone who can completely surround the bar with their fingers does. The leverage changes as the ends of the fingers approach the palm of the hand. And in a, in a situation where the bar is sitting right here, it's constantly trying to fall out of the grip. And it's you just can't lift as much like that. Now, if that's your situation, you're going to have to use straps and you're going to have to just do all of your warm-ups, all, all of the weight, the heaviest weight you can possibly do without straps, and then strap your work sets so you can continue to take the load on the deadlift up. But uh, you should be able to continue to do all of your warm-ups without straps, and you'll strengthen your grip more than it's strong right now by doing it like that. But, folks, if y'all aren't using chalk on your pulls you're just you're you know come on that's what it's for i mean we talk about it in the books chalk's assumed all right would it uh, alternated grip help her alternate grip i'm assuming she knows about an alternate grip surely she knows about an alternate grip she said she can't hook grip yeah so i'm assuming she's alternating her grip She's not alternating her grip. There's, that's as obvious as chalk. So that's got to be. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell her that. I'm not gonna insult her intelligence in quite that way. 
So, good God, look at all this. I know. Let's record another one later. How about that? Shall we? Maybe I'll change shirts. And we'll just record another one. Thanks for joining us on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time.